you're listening to the Games and Street Up This podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and this week I'm joined by Matt Handrahan, Brendan Sinclair, Marie D'Alessandri. And we have a guest on this week from Harbottle and Lewis. We have Kostya Loboff. Kostya, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Nice to be here. Before we delve in and start grilling you on this week's uh, this week's story, uh, a little bit about of your background and what your specialty is in the games industry. Absolutely. So um, I'm a lawyer, and uh, by background, I was uh, an IP litigator back in the day. That was pretty much all I did, and that included things like patent litigation, but also other types of IP like trademarks, copyright designs, etc. And since then, my role has sort of evolved over the years. I now focus almost exclusively on the games industry. Uh, dealing with IP issues, but also other stuff like advertising and regulatory issues, etc. Brilliant. So the reason we have brought you in is because the big story of the week that we want to discuss is Warner Brothers finally securing the patent for Shadow of Mordor's Nemesis system. Uh, now, this came out on Monday. Um, the US Patent and Trademark Office released an issue notice to say, uh, granting Warner Brothers a patent over, um, and I don't have the exact wording, but I believe it's the Nemesis characters, the Nemesis Fort, social vendettas, and followers in computer games. Put very, 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 very basically, it's the system where there's a hierarchy of procedurally generated NPCs that interact with each other, interact with the player's actions, and remember the player's actions. Those who have played the Middle-Earth games know that this is obviously all around the orcs, so if you kill an orc, um, he comes back to life and remembers you and wants revenge, or if an orc kills you, it remembers and brags about it next time you meet. Um, it's a fantastic system. It's a really interesting part of the game. Um, but the, the patent has actually raised a few questions about whether or not you can uh, protect game mechanics and what this does to innovation. We're going to delve into all of that. Um, but first of all, uh, Matt, I believe you, you were going to ask Kostya about um, just the, the history of this case. Yeah, well... Less so the history. I think the word that leaps out in your description of it, James, is the word finally, right? Warner Brothers finally landed a a patent. That's right, isn't it? A patent for... Kostya educated me before we got on the the call, so I now know how to pronounce that. Um, Been mispronouncing it all my entire life uh, so far. But yeah, so they... This is a long-running thing for them. They've attempted and failed to get this done um, before. And I guess what I, I don't know exactly how much detail you know about this, Kosha, whether you can even speak to this, but what 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 worked this time that didn't work before? What did they have to change to get it through? Because there must have been reasons why it wasn't getting through, and now it is. And But, but I don't have the, the colour on, on what exactly they, they tweaked to get it over the line. Yeah, and to be honest, I, I won't be able to give you the specifics for this particular pattern, but what I can say is it's not that unusual for it to take several years to go from filing a patent to finally having it granted. That process is known as prosecution, prosecuting a patent. And the, the simple reason is that, uh, so you've got your, your IP toolbox, right? In your toolbox, you've got different tools. You've got a bit of copyright, you've got a bit of trademarks, a bit of designs, and you have this thing called patents, and they all do... Slightly different tools, you know, you wouldn't use a hammer to screw in a screw into, you know, it's not very good for that, but it's great at hammering in nails. So think of it like that. So the patent is one tool, and it is a bit different to all the others in that it's it's quite a more involved process to actually get a patent than it is to register a trademark or a design. And obviously with copyright in most countries, it's automatic. You don't have to register anything. With a patent, uh, unlike all the other IP rights, it goes through a very rigorous examination process when you first apply for it. 
what that means is um, uh, two of the requirements to obtain a patent are that it has to be novel and then it has an inventive step. That second part is also known as non-obviousness. So it has to be not obvious over something that already exists. And these things are interpreted incredibly strictly. So it really has to be your invention, which is the thing you're trying to patent, really has to be pretty much unique and never been done before in the history of the planet ever, you know, down all the way back to the dinosaurs. Um, And I say that because, you know, so in law school, when you learn about patents, the example they give is if there is an obscure text written in Mongolian somewhere in a library in Mongolia, kept under lock and key and nobody's ever opened it or ever read it but nevertheless in that text your invention is disclosed or how to do the thing you're trying to protect is disclosed then your invention is invalid and you're not allowed to have a patent because it has been done before or at least there are instructions on how to do it before so it's a very strict test and when you file your application the first thing that happens is um the office where you filed it and patents are uh, national so it's a country by country basis kind of system so in this case it's it's the US PTO uh, what they will do is they'll get their researchers to scour the internet textbooks everything they have all their own da- databases they used to do this far and wide to try basically try and find a reason that you shouldn't have this patent they will try and find things that are similar and that includes you know previous patents uh, failed patent applications general texts, frankly, even stuff that just appears on Google, provided it's sort of disclosed with, in a sufficient level of detail. And that's, the, that's called the initial search. And that what you get after that is you get a search report, and it basically lists the things that the patent office considers are problematic. Now, in an ideal world, there's nothing on there. That almost never happens. But if it did happen, your patent would pretty much just sail straight through. Uh, usually there's at least some stuff on there and it's categorized by, uh, you know, how, how problematic it's going to be. Uh, I forget what the exact codes are, but there's, you know, there are, there's a category for, you know, the, the, this might be an issue. You need to take a look at this and explain to us why, for example, uh, it's, it's not the thing you're trying to patent is not an obvious sort of evolution of this thing that already exists or existed, you know, 10 years ago, for example. And in some cases, there's much more problematic things. I think it's, it's uh, coded with an X, which is basically, we found this thing and we, we're pretty sure that this is kind of novelty destroying. So it, it destroys any novelty you're claiming in your, in your patent. Long story short, you go through this process and what often ends up happening is you end up in, in a long kind of correspondence with the office trying to justify yourself and explain why actually, no, this thing you found is slightly different. You know, it's not the same as what we're claiming. Maybe what they found is problematic. And maybe what you end up doing is you end up amending your patent application. And this can happen many, many times until eventually you get to a point where the office is happy. You're happy that what you've ended up with is still worth pursuing. And that's when it finally goes through. And that process can take a while. Sorry, I just wanted to ask a question that may, may be very basic, but you mentioned the, the country, right? They filed the patent in the US. And we recently published um, a guide actually on GI.biz um, about uh, IP and patent and stuff like that. And there I learned that you apply for patent in a country and that doesn't automatically protect you in another country. And there is an international patent corporation union for that, which centralizes the mm-hmm. process. Correct me if I'm wrong, because 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I just wanted to ask, what does the, the Warner Bros uh, patent cover then? Is it just in the US? Does that mean that if a dev was to work on a similar system than the Nemesis system in, in Europe, the patent wouldn't cover that? Uh, the one I've looked at is the US. What I haven't done is I haven't sort of taken a step back and seen exactly what else they filed because quite often you would file several things at the same time gotcha. for that exact reason. So, you know, you, you know you want some protection in Europe, you know you want protection in, in maybe certain Asian countries, in the US, etc. So I haven't really sort of familiarized myself with the strategy they're pursuing. But typically what you would do is you would start with a priority application. So that's the very first application which sets out what it is you're trying to claim and it kind of plants your flag in the sand in terms of the priority date so that is the kind of the key date when you first disclose to the world this invention that you're trying to patent and whilst you're still trying to patent it that's fine the fact that you've disclosed it to the world is is okay because you're in that process it doesn't destroy your kind of novelty uh, but quite often as i say the, the actual application evolves and you file You might file divisional patterns, things that are related but are slightly different, trying to protect different aspects of that invention. You might file amendments, uh, etc. In fact, in some cases, the original priority application that you file, you won't actually ever prosecute that all the way through to ground. You will just let that lapse. You, you just needed it for the priority date. And what you end up registering is actually something slightly different. So it's it's a bit of a mess. And that's why when you try to search for patterns, I think one of you was a James who was trying to do it earlier, It's very, very yeah. difficult because even if you can find your way around this, the slightly obscure uh, Espasnet and, and other search systems, it's, you know, quite often there'll be 10 or more different patent numbers in different formats, but they all kind of relate to the same invention, but which is making its way through the process in different countries through different systems. So that, that's why it's quite difficult to kind of find what you're looking for. How familiar are you with uh, the Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of War games, costume? Have you played them? I haven't played them, but I did, in prep for this, watch a few videos. And I mean, I'd heard of the Nemesis system and I knew, because it made some waves back, it was 2014 or a few years ago. Um, and I remember reading about it thinking it was cool, but I haven't actually played them myself. But I, I kind of get the gist that it's, you know, it's... You, you you kill an orc or an orc kills you and gets promoted and then yeah sure i mean the reason i ask is because one of the reasons why this got traction on twitter the so the complaint from the, the industry from the development community is this kind of sucks because you know so much creativity is about kind of building off the ideas of other people and you know other developers use other developers ideas all the time and one observation that came up a lot of times is If you look at the Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of War games, it's got elements of Assassin's Creed in there. You know, you can see that the combat system is sort of inspired, borrowed from the Arkham games, Rocksteady. Actually, that's another Warner Brothers studio, so that probably makes that a little bit more simple. But, mm-hmm. but in general, are you able to, you know, given that you have a history of dealing with this stuff from the legal perspective, are you able to look at the Nemesis system and understand why that would get a, pa- a patent, um, but the other aspects of the game that are very similar to preceding games would be perfectly okay to use do you know what i mean like that the, there's a, a lot of different ideas in shadow of war shadow of mordor warner brothers and and a lot of those ideas yeah. owe something to previous games but warner brothers has actually gone out and tried to you know kind of put a, a ring around this one aspect of the game that they feel is unique and they don't want other people to use 
I think you've, you've answered the question because that is the bit that is unique. And as I say, the, one of the key requirements for even trying to patent something is that it has to be something that's never been done before. So even if there are cool other bits in that game, which have sort of been executed in a nice way, you know, the point is if those aspects of the gameplay have been done before, you just can't have a patent. But could, when, when those impossible. cool things were initially so, done, could those developers have patented those and then they wouldn't have been in because i think that was the root of what a lot of people were objecting to is that any of the companies that this game has based some of its ideas on could have patented their ideas but they didn't but warner brothers is doing it now for the one part of their Correct. game for, for, for 20 years that, you know that is genuinely unique while simultaneously taking ideas from other games that didn't patent them and and that that's a you know that's not hypocritical, but you know what I mean. Like yeah, a, I see what it, you mean. It's an of, uneasy marriage yeah, of, yeah. of principles there on Warner Brothers' part. Yeah. I mean, so I think we need to take a step back and maybe talk about what patents are and what they're trying to achieve. It sort of it becomes more theoretical. As to, you know, why do we even have patents? I mean, patents are actually meant to promote innovation and they're meant to encourage research, you know, R&D and investment in that side of things. Because the idea is it's a social contract with the government. So what the government's saying or the state is saying is that if you disclose your really cool invention that you've spent millions of pounds developing to the whole world, then we will give you a 20-year monopoly, in which case you will have the right to stop anybody else from doing that. That will give you a 20-year head start, effectively, uh, to exploit that and make a lot of money from it. But at the end of 20 years, it's free for everybody to use. And, and so the world has benefited from this invention having been made and disclosed to the world. And the price we pay for that is that we give you a monopoly for a period. So that's the kind of idea. And you might argue as to whether 20 years is too long or too short, but that's broadly how it's supposed to work. Um, and that's great when you're talking about things like, you know, novel chemicals or ways of making chemicals to create plastics or, you know, very sciencey, techy, you know, really heavy on the technology kind of stuff. When you get into games, obviously there is still that technology side and there are a lot of patterns for things like middleware and graphics engines and, you know, all of the tech stuff that goes into making a game run. When you get into gameplay, and this is why we see fewer gameplay patterns, I think it's an uneasy marriage because, you know, games are essentially an artistic medium, I think. So it, it, it becomes a bit like you're trying to uh, take a monopoly over something which is borderline artistic and borderline technical. And obviously, you know, if you do get a patent, then clearly you've succeeded in convincing the office that your invention is of a technical nature. Otherwise, you wouldn't be, you know, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be granted. But I think that's why it's a bit uneasy when you start talking about the actual gameplay as opposed to all the tech behind it. And maybe that's why where some of the controversy comes from and why we see fewer patterns of that style as opposed to aiming at the actual technology or, you know, the hardware or, or other aspects. So one thing that I'm... Uh, I want to make sure that I have straight here is that uh, a patent is not so much about the end result. It's, it's about the process that you achieve it. Is, is that correct? So like if, if it can be both, so you can have, you can have product style. So uh, the patent uh, is a quite a long document. In this case, this one's 37 pages. 
But the really important, probably the most important bit is right at the end, usually on the last page or two, where it lists what are known as the patent claims. And these are numbered paragraphs, in which in this case, I think there's 20 or 30 of them, uh, which basically set out, here is the invention or here are the aspects of the invention that I'm claiming a monopoly over if you, the state agree to grant me this okay well patent so and and that's the bit that's protected and some of those can be product claims so i claim an invention known as the computer mouse it's never been done before i have invented this thing that you hold in your hand and moves a cursor so that's a product claim or it can be a process claim i've invented a way of constructing a computer mouse which has never been done before and it's much more efficient uses fewer resources is cheaper faster etc so uh as an example um, I saw a Capcom patent the other day for uh, the system in Resident Evil 5 where if uh, you're in the multiplayer mode and one player is wounded, the other player can run over and revive them. And mm-hmm. that that is a really common system in games now. And I, I suspect that... Um, I mean, just having seen so many patents about virtual reality headsets and 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 really common gameplay mm. mechanics, uh, that it's I, I, I imagine either these things people are patenting them and then never actually enforcing them, or they are kind of coexisting because they're getting at the end point in a different uh, in a different way to something under the hood mm. is just being achieved. In, in a, you know, tweaked so that it's not quite uh, the exact process that's patented. Yeah, or there could be a third thing, which is, so you, you've paraphrased, paraphrased what the actual patent is, but I bet you if you sat down and looked very closely at the claims, which, you know, these are things where teams of lawyers sit and agonize over the choice of a single word in the claim. That's how how kind of anal it is. That's how kind of how much detail and effort goes into choosing every single word of the claim. So, so I bet you if you sat down and looked at it very closely, it would probably be narrower than what you've just described. It would probably be a very specific sequence of events with a kind of, you know, technological... Because the, the thing is, it, also, it, all, it all has to come back to being a technical invention. It has to be of a technical nature. It can't be rules of a game. That's specifically something that's excluded uh, from being patentable subject matter. It can't be a business method. So things like monetization mechanics are very difficult. You, you know, you can't generally obtain patents for them. You've got to tie it back to something that's technical, something that happens inside a computer or a console. So I bet you if you read it, there would be something which makes it a lot narrower than it might sound when you read an article about it in okay. the press. So, so if these are so narrow and so specific... Uh, with gameplay patents um, specifically, uh, how mm-hmm. how do these actually get enforced? Because I've I've don't recall offhand a single time that I've written a story about a you know a software patent uh, uh, with a, about a gameplay element. It's always you know hardware patents yeah. and things like that. And so much of the so much of what happens in games now happens under the hood and is kind of opaque to people outside of the development team you know even if you have a patent to enforce how can you be sure that what the other what the other development team is doing infringes on your specific precise uh process 
Yeah, so so the first part of your comment, I mean, um, th- there's different reasons why people uh, register patterns. So you you might, and it, by the way, you're totally right that there's a lot fewer gameplay style infringement actions, uh, infringement actions for patterns that cover gameplay and infringement actions brought by publisher owners of patterns as opposed to middleware companies or, you know, tech companies whose tech is used in games. I think those are a lot more common. Um, but there's different reasons why you might want a patent. So you might want it, you know, the most obvious reason is that you want to stop other people from doing this. And so you want it as a, as a weapon, as a sword, basically, to go after other people, either stop them from doing it or force them to take a license. Uh, you might want it because nobody else is doing it currently, but it's an active part of your business plan. And what you want to do is you want to sell licenses to other people uh, to use this pattern. So that's kind of a similar point, but slightly less aggressive. You might want it because uh, you want it for defensive reasons. And this is why, you know, companies like Nintendo and Sony and Microsoft have thousands and thousands of patents, partly. It's kind of an arms race, really. So if you're if you're, you know, one company and you have 5,000 patents and you can see that your competitor has 15,000 patents, I mean, between you and me, I don't know who will ever in any legal team have the time to sit down and read through all of those, which could be hundreds of pages each and understand exactly what their scope is and how they overlap and interact with each other. But I guess the kind of the broad brush point is it's like how many nukes have you got? So, you know, if if my biggest competitor was to sue me... There will almost certainly be something in those 15,000 patterns that I probably arguably infringe and and probably more than one. But if I also have a load of patterns in broadly a similar area, if they did that to me, I could probably find quite a few things that they do in their software, which probably arguably infringes a bunch of my patterns. And so it's a kind of you know mutually assured destruction you know do you, do they really want to do that when they know that a i'm going to instantly claim that all of their patents or the ones they've alleged against me are invalid so i'm going to try and invalidate as many of them as i can and b i'm probably going to counter sue them for infringement of my own patents so it's kind of that kind of defensive mentality so you build up a thicket you know a big big collection of patents that um you know, are there as a shield, but also, you know, maybe if you have uh, an IPO coming up or maybe if you're seeking external investment, uh, it might also be an attractive thing to to say that you have, that you're sort of very proactive in, in your R&D side of the business and that you've heavily invested in protecting your technology, even if you've never actually sued anybody yet. I hate that so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's, um, that's, uh, that's one of the interesting things about this, I think. The, one of the things that came out in the reaction i think a lot of people responded to this as if it was kind of some unprecedented move that warner brothers had made but my my history i mean to the degree to which i actually understand the system and and why people have patents and the way they patent um things particularly big companies is that you know big companies apply for and get so many patents each year and it's for genuinely very often very very bizarre niche things that never turn into products and and it's just about having these libraries of patents which actually have quite a lot of value I mean, Kostya, in your in your view is there anything particularly unprecedented going on here with warner brothers patenting the nemesis system or is this just standard procedure for a company like warner brothers this just happens to have been noticed by the press in a way that it doesn't normally get noticed 
Uh, I mean, th- I think the pattern itself isn't, as I say, I've skimmed it, it's, it's quite long. You know, it's, it's a moderately complicated pattern. They've clearly had to make changes to it to sort of get it through. There's nothing particularly surprising about it. I think what's slightly surprising is, you know, it's, it's absolutely right that we don't see many of these gameplay related patterns. So they are, you know, they're not unprecedented. We've had patterns for stuff like the Mass Effect dialogue wheel and... I think Blizzard has some uh, pretty interesting patterns on how to select the kind of play of the game or the kind of moment of the match uh, at the end of a of a match and sort of the metrics that it uses to choose what it thinks the most interesting moment was and then replay that to to the players. So there's there's all sorts of stuff that I mean even that's not really a gameplay pattern if we're being honest about it it's, you know it's it's more of a something a bit more technical. But yeah, this is interesting because it is protecting an element of gameplay. I think that's why it's made headlines. So, so I don't so, think it's so that it's doesn't totally happen deserved, all that much, but basically as, that that is yeah. Okay. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah, it, it happens occasionally. It doesn't happen very often. Mm. You know, are they going to go out and actively sue people or prevent people from using this? I don't know. I don't really know what the kind of you know. It's probably part of a bigger business picture. So how does this relate to, or does it relate to, um, Voodoo's case against uh, Rollick Games and uh, Hero Games over the, the wood carving games on mobile? So Voodoo has a game called Wood Turning, which is about whittling wooden objects. Um, Rollick and Hero had a game called Wood Shop, which is about whittling wooden objects. And Voodoo claimed that particular additions, such as polishing, painting, and the ability to make real-world objects rather than just random shapes, um, they claimed that was infringing on there. I don't know if it was a patent or a copyright, but it, it was, was not a patent. It wasn't no, a patent, right? That's no, not that, that had nothing to do with patents. That was purely... Uh, was that, was actually a French claim. I think there are parallel UK proceedings there. I'm not entirely sure, but in the French proceedings, it was it was droit d'auteur, which is French copyright, basically. And uh, it was a kind of a French parasitism, they call it, which is basically like unfair competition, similar kind of thing. So these are different tools in the toolbox. Patents are a totally different thing. But they're being used in that particular case for, for a similar effect. And mm. so... You know, this is probably a whole separate podcast, but, you know, copyright in some cases can be used to protect some elements of gameplay if they're sufficiently original. And there's some case law in Europe recently, which has actually arguably made that even easier. I literally have a case on my plate right now, which involves exactly that kind of issue. Uh, And that's a purely copyright and uh, passing off claim. Passing off is like the English unfair competition, if you like. Uh, But patent cases are more rare. They are much more rare especially in gameplay. So I know you're the expert here, but I do kind of want to push back a little bit on the suggestion that the software, like the gameplay patents are, are rare. Um, Cause I, mm-hmm. I, I do a, like a Tumblr blog called context free patent art, which is yep. like, I just go randomly running through the U S patent trademark office database and find video game related patents and i find a lot that i would consider um gameplay based like uh square enix Mm -hmm. has a lot of their you know like the jrpg battle systems are are have patented elements in them there are um oh let's see i'm just scrolling back through some of the the ones that we've that we yeah. posted recently and it's like insomniac has one for the the way they handle side missions in spider-man 
Yeah, they definitely exist. I'm, I'm not denying that they exist at all, but it depends. I suppose when I say they're rare, it depends what your kind of sample is. What, what Are you looking at the total number of patents filed? Relative to the total in, number in of patents, sector? no, it's it's much less. But I mean, this this isn't like something that's, you know, in the dozens of times that is that it has happened. There are, I, I would say, hundreds of, of gameplay patents out there covering just all manner of things from like the uh yeah the camera a lot a lot of 3d cameras actually mario 64 metal gear solid those have had 3d camera patents about the way they handle their camera systems uh insanity systems like eternal darkness yeah, I'm not sure a camera thing is a gameplay. I'm not, you know, I think we're probably arguing over semantics here. But to me, when I say gameplay, I mean actually, you know, how the player interacts with the game, how how it is you play it, as opposed to, uh, you know, for example, a camera pattern, which is how it how it's displayed or what happens behind the scenes. Um, uh, what I mean is something that somebody might consider to kind of almost stray into that creative side of, of gameplay design as opposed to the technical side. And that's why I think that those particular types are, are rarer. But look, they definitely exist and people do file them and I, I'm not denying that at all. So, mm, I was, I've just been wondering about like fair use, whether or not that's something that can apply in this case. Like could someone later down the line argue that they have a similar mechanic in their game but that constitutes fair use? Because um, like there's a lot of games that are built on the fact they're borrowing mechanics or characters, like as a parody, for instance, um, from previous games like The Hex or Broforce and games like that. I don't think I've ever been sued for like infringing IP or or patents. So I was just wondering if that, like, I'm just still wondering where's the line in in this patent, right? Like what constitutes fair use, what what is possible and what isn't. It, I don't know. I don't know what my question is here, but yeah, fair use is that a thing that 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 can be claimed by by developers later down the line? It's uh, it's not a thing for patents. It's not a thing no. for patents. Well, it, that solves the it's issue. A, it's, isn't a, it? it's a thing for copyright. Gotcha. So in, in Voodoo and Rollick, arguably, they they could have argued fair use. I'm not sure if they actually did. I can't remember from the, the pleadings, but and in um, fair use is actually a U.S. concept. So it's it's a thing that exists in U.S. law. There are similar things in other countries. So in the U.K., for example, we have fair dealing, similar kind of concept. Only applies to copyright again here. So, but nothing to do with patents. Patents are kind of um, again they're different in that it's a ver- it's a strict liability, which means that you can infringe my patent even if you didn't mean to or you didn't know that my patent existed. That that's irrelevant. I have a complete monopoly over the invention that I've been granted, and it's your responsibility to make sure that you know what's out there and that you don't infringe it. Which neatly leads back to what we were saying earlier, which is, well, how are you, how are you supposed to know? You know, is every game studio now supposed to run very detailed, thorough patent searches? And, and for what? Like, what are you even searching for? Well, because yeah. potentially a million different things within a game could be patentable. Well, then does the, does the import of, you know, uh, any given patent really rely on what the intention for having it in the first place is. I think we, we kind of touched upon this earlier. What what Brendan is saying, you know, you've got Square Enix battle systems that have patented elements in them and stuff. Let's just say those are gameplay related. Well, does it really matter that Square Enix has a patent on that gameplay element if they're actually not really looking out for ways to suppress it in other games, that it's just about 
having it in their library for for other purposes that because uh, one thing that you did see a lot in the in the response to the, the news of Warner Brothers securing this one is oh this sets a precedent you know this is a bad precedent other other publishers are going to do the same uh, same things for their games and I, I did immediately think well I'm, I'm, I'm sure that publishers are doing this kind of thing all the time and, but, but, it, but it doesn't matter exactly. because it only I literally wrote this down they're going yeah. to go out go after mm. people and say you can't do that now but you very, as you say yourself you very rarely see that happening even though there probably are patents for all kinds of things that you could theoretically take someone to court over yeah, I'm sure there are hundreds of examples of things that are infringing patents right now as we speak, and nobody has, and probably probably nobody will ever do anything uh, about it. So, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think this really sets much of a precedent. I think the people who uh, have the resources, the time, and the kind of commercial justification for getting patents um, are already doing it, and that they've been doing it for some time. So I don't think it's particularly surprising that a patent has been filed for this. I think the pattern is slightly interesting because, as I say, it's, it relates more to the, the actual gameplay as opposed to the, the technical stuff behind it. Although, of course, they've tied it to that to make sure that it gets through and it is valid. Uh, but I don't think that this is going to suddenly, you know, prompt... Uh, Take two or Epic or you know whoever like all the big players out there to think oh yeah patents yeah damn we should have been you know, I, I th- God guys I knew I was forgetting something yeah no I think I think they've all been doing it uh, all this time and yeah probably a lot of them are sitting on stuff that they could use to sue other people but they're just not because um, well probably because we do a whole <laughs> podcast on them <laughs> for for why are they doing this and why are they kind of throwing their weight around. There is, you know, the games industry is quite specific in that sense so that, you know, there are strong PR implications to taking any IP infringement action, patent or, or otherwise. So that's always a consideration that goes in. So it really needs to be something worthwhile, like some something pretty egregious to, to justify doing that. Or maybe because you want to make a name for yourself as somebody well, who's going to can... do that sort of thing. And that's why, as I say, you don't see many many publisher owners uh, suing other people, or at least the other thing to remember is you only hear about a patent case when it, uh, you know, proceedings have already been issued. If somebody sends a very long, stroppy letter to somebody else telling them to stop and or pay money, and that other side eventually agrees to stop and or pay money, you will never hear about it. It's confidential, it happens in correspondence, and, you know, it's some of it is probably happening behind the scenes. Um, the the cases you hear about are the ones where, you know, that happened and then the other side refused and that's how they ended up in court. But, you know, if you're a small studio and you get a cease and desist letter from a massive patent owner and it's even half credible and it looks like actually maybe you do infringe, but, you know, you're probably not going to be digging your heels in and and resisting that as hard as you can. And there's not really any disclosure of what patents are used in this product or that product generally, is there? No, so there's no obligation to, to tell the world. I mean, you, you filing the patent application is considered effectively you telling the world that you own this patent. But of course, in reality, you know, nobody sits there reading patent journals every day. You just don't. So in an ideal, perfect and impossible world, you you would carry out a patent clearance search before launching any product. But, you know, the reality is it's just unlikely. So you, you probably look at, 
you know, have other people made similar things or used similar mechanics and seemingly have got away with it in the past or at least nothing has happened? You know, if, if the answer is yes, then that, you know, that's not a legal basis for doing it. That's a purely kind of commercial risk assessment. You know, other people haven't been sued. Therefore, maybe but I won't get sued Brendan, either. Given, given that you run a blog about patents and also do an article about patents for us, you probably look at more patents than anybody in the games industry right now. You know, you could be a go-to person, an expert. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about expertise. It's, it's mostly just, you know, sitting there and, and picking up what you can from putting your head in the fire hose. <laughs> this patent stuff for years it's it's fun stuff though like i it's weird to say that but you know the um it's it's interesting to see what people think of as novel and what they think of as like well this this is an Mm. idea that needs to be protected this is not obvious and it's even more fun to see the way that they try and convert their ideas into drawings when they're not professional (laughs) artists (laughs) Yeah. And also, I challenge anybody to sit down and read a medium-length patent like this and understand everything first time round. I don't think it's possible, because the the wording to normal human beings, including me, is pretty much impenetrable on a first pass. You really have to sit there and take it apart and try and work out, you know, translate it into English. What are they actually trying to say? What are they claiming? Um, you know, I, I have a few patent attorney friends and there's just there's just phrases like okay this won't apply to to games but you can't you can never say a screw you always say a tapered fastener because a screw is imprecise and there could be different types of screw and it's it's that level of detail that goes into it and that's why when you read it i mean just i'm just going to flick to the the first claim claim number one of this patent so usually the most important claim because a lot of other claims are, are kind of subordinate to it So it says a method, so this is a method claim, controlling by a processor game events in a computer-implemented game. So that so far doesn't tell you much. That just means you're playing a game on a computer. The game events involving an avatar that is operated in response to input from a player. Okay, so it's like a role-playing game, kind of, or like you at least have a character that you're controlling. And a first non-player character that is controlled in response to a first set of character parameters defined in a computer memory. So you have an NPC, basically NPC1, that's uh, tied to a first set of parameters, (sighs) breath, defined in computer memory and in response to operation of the avatar. Okay. And then, so this is still claim one, detecting by the processor occurrence of a predefined game event involving the non-player character, and then changing by the processor a second set of character parameters defined in a computer memory for control of a second non-player character in the game based on the detecting. So anybody who understood that, congratulations to you. But that's, (laughs) that's the kind of language that is used because exactly how precise they're trying to be and so when when one thing i didn't mention is um what you know when you're trying to get a patent obviously in an ideal world you probably want your patent to be as broad as possible so you can theoretically catch as many infringers as you can basically so it would or at least it would give you the option to pursue as many people uh, as you can but you're always squeezed by the fact that if you make your patent too wide then it's, you're probably making it invalid because it probably then covers stuff that's already been done before. 
So and you and this is that's the kind of line you're trying to tread. You're trying to make it as wide as possible, but still narrow enough so it doesn't get invalidated by anything that's that already exists. And that's where you end up with all this careful drafting, which is very difficult to read. I can't believe we just spent forty minutes talking about patents. <laughs> it is fun, though. I kind of agree with you, but yeah, it's um, it's a whole it's the, it's the least well understood. IP right out of all of them. I think broadly people are fairly comfortable with copyright in the games industry. You know, it's it probably gets yeah, the most column tra- inches in terms trademarks of trademarks. Trademarks, and trademarks. Are the one that yeah. stands out at least. Trademark seems to be the one that crops up most often in our news reporting. Uh, very often because it's like you know it's like the the scrolls mm-hmm. thing. Bethesda like, going to Mojang and saying you've got scrolls, we've got Elder Scrolls. Yeah, yeah. You can't do that, and you kind of. You kind of it's like a muscle you have to like exercise it in order to kind of keep it relevant and so on so there's a certain aspect of needing to mm. be active whereas patterns seems more like you can have it in your library but you don't you know you've got 20 years so you don't actually have to be out there constantly making a noise in order for it to, to kind of stay yours exactly and that's because trademarks potentially last forever they don't have an expiry date as long as you keep using them correctly and stop other people from infringing Whereas with patents, they're really, really, really hard and expensive to get. But once you've got them, that's it. Unless somebody comes along and tries to invalidate it, which does happen, by the way. So you try to sue somebody, they counterclaim and say, actually, your patent's invalid because even though you went through this really complex examination procedure, actually, the USPTO missed these three things that we've now found. So the Nemesis system was from the the previous Lord of the Rings game that came out in the beginning of the PS4 generation. Um, so that's, they've had like six or seven years already. Oh wait, my math is bad. Seven or eight years um, where, where this was not patented, but now that the patent's been approved, mm-hmm. it's, it extends for 20 years from now, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's from the so, grant. It's from the grant, but they can't. They can't have sued, and you know, w- w- during the time that it was still going through that process, they couldn't sue anybody. You can't sue for infringement of an application. Okay, so if you're going to copy people's stuff, do it really quickly. <laughs> you got to get well, in that window yes, ex- between the approval of the patent. Except, yeah, you see, but the the, the lawyers or the law writers have thought uh, of this because there is a thing lawyers. in most countries, and I. <laughs> There's a thing which says that after a patent's been published, so here the publication date was September 29th, 2016, uh, which, by the way, that's not the date that you file the application. It's it's usually a bit later. So if anybody starts doing infringing things from September 29th, 2016, and the patent is granted in 2021, you can, in theory, get damages for infringing acts that took place in that intervening period so yeah i wouldn't recommend if you know if you know that there's a patent application out there that's already been published i wouldn't recommend quickly going out and doing so, uh what it says in that application because there currently is, there's a game jam going on at the moment that's called the nemesis jam which is literally to play with the concept of the nemesis system in the two weeks before the patent takes effect so they're potentially in trouble is what you're saying for doing that. I didn't know that. Yeah, they <laughs> might want to they might want to have a look at uh, well it's already been granted, hasn't it? So, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> cool. The, the patent is in force, so potentially if they're doing stuff if they if they're implementing that method as claimed, then, you know, and and Warner Brothers has 
uh, time on their hands and decides that it's worth pursuing. But, you know, again, would they? I don't know. You know, it just seems <laughs> not the kind of target that you would go after. That's a, well, yeah, that's the thing, right? Because, like, it's, yeah, that's like it's, a, it's a weird one. What, what, if, what do you have to gain by doing that's that? That's the not thing, very much. Yeah. yeah, that's a 2008 Activision Bobby Kotick move right there. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's seems to be a little he's um, chilled out a little uh in his in his age but uh yeah there was there there was a time when people did not care about optics yeah well i mean you only need to look at the mm. response that just getting the patent granted has uh, has received for for warner brothers and the the bad optics there i mean can you can you imagine what would actually the the, the pr disaster would be if they actually went after anyone as a result of having it like I, I feel like this kind of thing is something that you would avoid based on you know give, given the amount of effort and time and resources it would take to even see a case through to its completion i think this is definitely unless a it's a clone of, or something i mean there could there could yeah, be situations where you know the, the community probably would would say oh, actually that's fair enough you know if, if it is a complete ripoff uh and it's only available in certain countries or you know it's 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 clearly just trying to cash in on a short term until they get sued you know is it okay to enforce your patent against somebody like that you know on a moral level probably is um but then you know they're probably infringing other stuff that is easier to get to you know if you have a game clone it's probably infringing your copyright is probably infringing some trademarks and unfair competition passing off that kind of stuff so you don't necessarily need a patent to to combat game clones i think there are other tools available which are kind of easier but you know i don't want to discourage people from looking into it because i do think it's underused but it's got to be quite a specific set of circumstances where a patent is worthwhile. It's got to be something where it's a mechanic or a technology that's going to have value for for twenty plus years, and it's going to be worth the investment to to protect it for that period of time. If it's you know if if you if you're making hyper casual games and you're sort of releasing a new one every six to twelve months, you know it's just not worth patenting any of that. If if there is. I mean, there's probably nothing novel in there anyway, frankly. I don't want to be derogatory to hyper-casual games, but that's, you know, <laughs> probably not a lot of R&D goes into them, I guess. It's interesting the different strategies companies take towards patenting their, their stuff because, like, uh, Activision and Electronic Arts are, are fairly active um, relative to other publishers. Anyone that makes hardware, Nintendo, Microsoft, Sony, is very active. Mm. Um, and then, like, Ubisoft and Take-Two are really kind of... They've got some, uh, but it's it does not seem to be, like, a focus for them the way it is for some other, other publishers. And I, I find mm. it really interesting because, like, it's not like Take-Two is... Um, not innovating in software and like ubisoft even has mm. you know their their like r d division set up to to look into machine learning and really trying to push things forward on that but i haven't i haven't seen much in the way of like any interest from them in in, in pursuing patents the way some of these other companies like square enix and activision blizzard and electronic arts do yeah i think it, it depends on you know the people there at the time you know the the lawyers the business people who who make these decisions about whether it's worth investing the time and money and you know different people will have different approaches and see different value in in having those patents um so yeah it's it's there's no kind of universal approach to it really um 
but you're absolutely right that the hardware, you know, those who do have elements of hardware, so all the console manufacturers will definitely have be a lot more active on this side of things because I guess they're probably more at risk of those tech. Well, a it's probably easier to get those patterns. A lot of the stuff that's to do with the actual hardware, the console, the operating systems, etc. That's you know easier to to get. And B, you're probably more at risk of those things being infringed by, you know, knockoff consoles or, or, you know, other competitors. We've kind of touched on this, but kind of on the closing note, I kind of want to ask um, what this means for any developers who like the idea of the Nemesis system but want to build upon it. So we've already established that the patent gives uh, Warner a 20-year protection over it. There's um, a game, you know, Marie mentioned the game jam that's just trying to experiment with it. But obviously there are big examples like Ubisoft had that mercenary system in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which people have drawn comparisons to. There's the, it's it's a little different, but the census um, system in Watch Dog Legion that, that generates all the different NPCs and their backstories and so forth, that's, that's similar. Like, how different does and if someone wants to take what the nemesis mm. system has done and build upon it take the next step how different does it have to be to protect them from warner brothers well technically not very different but it's got to you, you know it, it is very it's a very precise exercise so it's it's i suppose you'd have to sit down and very carefully read that claim one that i just said to you and all of their subordinate claims of which there are 36 um, and make sure that the thing you're doing does not fulfill each and every element claimed within any of those claims. And just to give you an idea, the way lawyers do this, let's say somebody comes to a lawyer and says, I think somebody's infringing my patent. Literally what you would do is you would take every single word or you know combination of words from that claim and you would list them vertically in a table and you would go, you know, you'd make a second column, which is, you know, allegedly infringing product. And you would go through each one, you would put a tick or a cross next to it. And if you end up with a claim which has all ticks or arguably all ticks, then then that's infringing. So literally you would say a method. Is it a method? Tick. Okay. Comprising, controlling by a processor game events. Okay. Is 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 there something is there a processor that controls game events? Probably is. Tick. And you, you'd go through it like that in detail and and to, to work out whether it's infringing or not. Now, I, I can't imagine many studios who are going to have the kind of the willpower to, to try and do that. Um, you know, it, it, I guess in a way it's working already, isn't it? Because it's generating dialogue. And even even if, let's say, Warner Brothers has no intention whatsoever of suing anyone, it's having a deterrent effect, isn't it? Because it's, you know, how can I sit here and say to you, oh, well, don't worry about it. You know, it's just a pattern. You know, we see patterns all the time. You know, it's there. And yeah, they might not enforce it, but equally, maybe they will. So, um, and that's, I suppose, another third or fourth reason that I didn't mention for, for having these things is that, you know, news gets out about them and people might think twice about including features that are too similar. So, in reality, probably what's going to happen is people are going to steer clear of it, uh, whereas before they might have been more willing to experiment. So I've heard a lot of people say that, like, trademarks, uh, you need to enforce them or else you'll lose your claim over them. Uh, is is that accurate? And patents then are more you have the claim and whether or not you enforce it is up to you? 
Uh, yeah, that's kind of true with trademarks. So with trademarks, if you don't, if you if you if there's other people who start using your trademark, and let's say they start using it uh, generically, or they start using it to describe a particular type of goods and services. So maybe maybe like I don't know, I don't want to sort of diss any brands here, but you know brands that historically have been at risk of you know things like Hoover or Escalator. Mm. Escalator was a trademark. Did you know that? Um, it kind of when you think about it, it does kind of sound like an invention, doesn't it? I've, I've created the escalator, um, but now we just don't think of it that way. We just think, oh, it's an escalator. So that's that. You know, it's an example of how if a brand or a trademark is used improperly, it can lose its distinctive character. And that yes, that's why you have to at least occasionally sue or threaten to sue people to maintain that kind of distinctiveness. Yeah, with patents, you don't have that. You know, you, you have a patent and it's, you've got it. It's completely up to you whether you do literally nothing with it or whether you sue everybody under the sun. Um, Good system. Or whether you, 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 you frankly, you know, uh, license, license it out to people. Maybe, maybe you're, you're willing to, maybe you're willing for the people to use this technology, but you just want it to be clear that it's, it's something that belongs to you. So you have the option of stopping certain activities, but actually, you know, you're not particularly intending to go after yeah, studios. It's, it's almost like it's um, just better to have it than to not. And particularly when you think of the sheer number of patents that some companies amass, like even they must struggle to keep track of what they do or don't hold, I suppose, in a way. And in, and in many ways, maybe, I mean, as you were saying, Kostya, that the very people that were were kind of hand-wringing about what this means for creativity in the games industry, by, by, by making so much noise, they've actually done the best possible job of enforcing this patent against people who might have similar creative ideas because there are so many there are so many patents that people are constantly making games completely ignorant about whether or not they're infringing on a patent but now they know this one exists and it's mainly because people were so worried that it exists and there's an irony to that yeah there is i guess there is yeah um the, the, the thing we haven't mentioned is, is patent trolls, which is a, a thing that you probably have heard of. But these are kind of entities which either file patents, which they never have an, any intention to, to, you know, make an invention like that or to use a method like that themselves. Or maybe they buy patents from from existing companies. Uh, for example, a company's going bankrupt or something or, you know, through insolvency process and they buy a whole bunch of patents having no intention to ever do anything with them themselves, but the business model uh, is to threaten other people because they're doing something which arguably falls within one of those patterns to try and extract a license fee or some damages. So uh, I don't think this happens. I'm not aware of this happening in, in, the, in the games industry as much. Correct me if, if you've heard something to the contrary, but... Um, you know, it, it just kind of illustrates that point of there are lots of reasons why you may or may not want to have a patent. That is all we've got time for. Kostya, thank you so much for coming on with us and, uh, and unpacking what is a very, very dense issue. Thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure. We may may well have to have you back, um, not only when more people try to patent uh, gameplay mechanics, but where, if and when Warner tries to do anything about this one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> In the meantime, you can find all our previous episodes on the podcasting platform of your choice, including our Game Developers Playlist and 5 Games Of series. And you can get more news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. 